You're listening to audio from Plank Grove Harvest Church located in Crossville, Tennessee. If you'd like more information about our church and its various ministries, please visit our website at www.plankgroveharvest.org. I go to the grocery store. I don't go to the grocery store a lot. By God's grace, my wife likes to go grocery shopping. Or, I mean, she's, not, she's willing to do it anyway. And, uh, but a couple times, once in, once in Kansas and then when I was here the other, uh, um, the other day, I went in and I'm looking at the milk case and I'm wondering, I mean, the thing's empty. Things are changing. Like common things like half and half. Like how do we not have half and half in the milk case, you know, at Walmart? And it may have been just a, a day where they hadn't restocked the show. I don't know. But things that were once common are going to become uncommon. Eggs went from whatever, $2 a dozen to $5 a dozen. Unless you live where Mark lives and he gets them from his neighbor for $3 a dozen. So go there and let's keep that guy hustling. And, uh, but the point is, is that in South America, when, when our dollar gets beat up here, we have enough dollars to overcome the problem. When, when their money gets beat up there, they're hurting. So what they used to get, they used to get five, or they used to get eight pieces of bread for a sole. That's about, it was about 30 cents, now about 40 cents. And today in Peru, it's four pieces of bread. So their buying power has gone to really less than half. So a guy needs to recognize those things that we have missionaries and people in other places on the globe that don't, they don't have the backup currency like we do or the backup plan or don't have even gardens, you know, especially if they live in cities. And so these things can be a major financial hit. So I was hoping we could pray this morning before we begin for Pastor Jess. Well, we need to send an extra offering and I didn't even talk to Strong. He left, I guess he'd had enough, but, uh, no, he's here somewhere. But uh, oh, there he is. He's he's so tiny. Um, <laughs> he uh, but uh, Pastor Jesswell, they're starting their seminary up for the season right now, and they were. He was asking for. Uh, I asked him what his needs were, and they need some tires for their main car for the seminary. They use the car to go back and forth between the seminary and Rafa House, which is their their uh, nursing home facility, where they where they use that as training for the seminary students and and so on, and care for the for the poor and the indigent people. And uh, he asked for an offering there. I asked him the amount. I'm saying we need to send him about $1,500. We need to vote on anything over about 500 bucks that's outside the norm. And if we could, if I could get that from you all, if you're in agreement with that, just say amen. And if not, are we in agreement with sending him an extra uh, tithe this month there of about $1,500? Anybody against that and, and would prefer not to do that, that's okay. You can raise your hand. Strong, take him outside. No, I'm just kidding. Nobody voted again. So we're going to go ahead and do that, okay? And I'll get it put together and hopefully, um, uh, you know, we'll have to break it into two pieces to send it, but maybe I can get Mark to send one and Loretta will send some. Let's pray together for Jesswell, Elias, Chibuye, and Haley Stewart, and, um, and also remember, um, I forgot their name, Orners in Madagascar and others that are out there. Um, you can look at our board over there. If they got a pin on it, that means we have a mission church or missionaries there. So let's pray for these. Father, this morning, I know these people are in different levels of suffering um, that we can't understand. Those in Haiti that, that get by on pennies a day or less. Um, those in Venezuela that are digging in the dumpsters and there's nothing left in there because even the wealthy are digging in the dumpsters. Father, for Pastor Jesswell and his ministry there, he says his health is a little better. He's excited about the start of the season there for the seminary. I pray for them. I pray for the work that he's going to do there. I pray for missionaries that he's preparing there. He said he has mostly men this time, and that's a good sign. 
that men want to go out and spread the gospel to the nations. Pray for Elias. I pray for um, Yaley, who's had the, the health problems there as he's caring for her. Pray for Chibuye and the work that he's doing there in Africa. For Haley Stewart, I pray that we're seeing salvations, that people are being drawn to Christ and growing in grace. I pray for your hand of peace upon them for those that we have in Uzbekistan, Tajikistan. Um, pray for those, for those in Romania as well, and the work that they're doing there and around the globe, Lord. We give you, uh, we commend our missionaries and our people that we know that you know their problems better than we do, and we just take a moment to identify them before you, Lord, and commend them to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Working on peace, we keep working on peace. I think we will go to a new direction next week. If you want to read ahead, I would suggest reading First and Second Peter for next week and following. We'll be, we'll be working in there for a while. John 14, 27, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. So again, we have these two aspects of peace given directly to us from Christ. It's a peace that he has with the Father. Remember again, like I told you before, and I want you to grab this, is that you've got to possess it yourself in order to give it away. It's an inheritance, my peace I give to you. Not the peace that the world gives, but the peace that Christ has between himself and the Father. That's a special peace. He possesses it, it's his to give, and it's the same peace, number two, that he enjoys in the relationship with the Father. And there's two kinds of peace, and I'm just reminding you of that. I hope you kind of grab that. I tried to mention it four or five times over the last ever how many weeks, five weeks maybe, four or five weeks, um, this peace that Christ gives, because we're going to live in unpeaceful times. We live now in unpeaceful times. It's, uh, it's not like the days of the 50s or the 60s or the 70s or, I mean, well, the thing in Vietnam was going on, it largely didn't affect people in the States. It was over there. It wasn't over here. Or the, or the 80s or the 90s and the, the different little, you know, issues of combat that happened to people in, the, in, you know, in different countries, people in the military that affected them had no effect on the people in the States. But now we see a government that's really growing out of control and really putting pressure on people in our country and other countries in this socialist view that's coming on, and it's coming with speed. And so it's affecting people's peace. They watch the news. They lose their peace um, because their peace is based on a peace that man gives and not the peace that Christ gives. Believers, this should not be so for them. My peace I give to you. So we have the peace that Christ offers my peace, the peace I have between myself and the Father, Christ and the Father. And then we have the world's peace. The other peace is, is not nearly as stable as the peace that Christ gives. The peace offered by the coming uh, white horseman of the apocalypse, we're going to see that in Revelation 6 today, it's not a true peace. It's not a desirable peace. And it's only going to be that peace that the world offers it's only going to be acceptable to those whose minds are weakened, whose minds are worldly, whose hearts are carnal, whose desire for peace just means that I want to be left alone to live how I live and I want to have enough to eat and I'll be completely satisfied like I've seen in these third world countries. If I just had one roll a day, that'll be enough. And, and in time, it very well could be that we'll be living in that way. If you recall... In Revelation, it says one of the horsemen, he brings such a, uh, the scale, it says he touches the grain and the meat, but he says don't touch the wine and the oil. It gets down to the point that only the super wealthy will have something to eat. They'll have all the wine and oil there is, but for the average man, you'll have nothing. You'll work a day's wage 
will buy enough food for a single person, which is cool if you don't have kids or a wife or a family. And so the picture is, is that you'll starve out. Those days are coming. Maybe we see them in our life. Maybe we don't. I pray we don't, but it's a real possibility. And your person, a follower of Christ, needs to have a peace in days like that. It's easy to have peace now. All I got to do is turn the TV off and I'll be happier already. And then I go to the grocery store and then I can just take the money out of my pocket and I can buy what I want or I can go to the dentist and get my tooth fixed or I go to the doctor and get my whatever fixed and then I can be at peace again. And that's okay, but our reliance that we have, the peace that we have now is based on our income maybe or in our status in our culture and not on Christ. And what I want you to do as believers in Christ is to reorient the peace that you have in your spirit to a peace in Christ, peace with Christ, peace with the Father. This peace that man offers is not acceptable peace for the believer because it's going to be like this. It's going to be peace today and war tomorrow. I don't really want to begin an in-depth Bible study just to let you know on the book of Revelations right now. Um, I don't say that we won't eventually, but for today, this book can be a little straining on a person's peace. You start reading in there and you're like, man, I wish, can we read something happy? I think I've told you this before. We were doing the book of Isaiah one time years ago in a Sunday school class, and a guy came up after me and he's like, man, can we please study something other than Isaiah for a while? You're getting me depressed. And uh, so we didn't just because I'm mean. No, I think we did change to something else for a time and went back to it. But Revelation is so, um, I mean, it's brutal. The things that are coming are brutal. The persecution of the saints that are coming is brutal. The tribulation is brutal. It's not easy. It's not easy to read and, and go away, you know, whistling a, a, a tune of happiness. It just isn't that kind of book. It's necessary. Um, there's many doctrines there, but it can kind of act like a swamp that you get bogged down in and you can't plow your way out of, you know. So I do want to talk about some things there, but I'm not going to just get in there and we're going to stay in Revelations for the next six months or anything like that. Just for today, I want to bring up this one scripture. And I will tell you that with Revelation, many people come to the book of Revelation, Apocalypsis in, or Apocalypse in, um, in the Latin or in the Spanish, is, is where... Uh, um, Theologians go to die. No, a lot of people go there, and then most people that have an understanding of Revelation, it's not their own understanding. It's not from them reading it and coming to conclusions. Most likely, they read the Tim LaHaye books, they, you know, Left Behind series, they, they read The Late Great Planet Earth, Hal Lindsey, um, they read Robert Morris, if they're lucky, uh, or, or someone else. And then they had all these big diagrams drawn out, and this horseman does that, and this, you know, this vial opens this, you know, curse, and this, so on. And they have all the answers, but then you take this guy, and you lay him over this guy, and it's quite different. So we come to the book of Revelation many times with, with preconceived ideas of what's in there and how it works together. So I want to be careful, and I want to show you something today where it's very easily, it could be either or neither or both. And so I want you to see it today um, there on that, that first horseman there. And, and so if you have a conflict with what I say, well, then before you, you can come and tell me about it. That's fine. But then go and read the word for yourself and see where is it that I understand what I understand? Is it because another man told me this to be true or have I studied to show myself to be approved unto God? So make sure you're doing your own study in there. Um, take these guys from way back 
Some of those guys had a better view on some of these things than some of the newer guys do. But then again, we're closer now than we've ever been before. And we can see things happening in the culture and in worldwide in Revelation that we can tie to it and say, oh, this looks an awful lot like this, where they would have had trouble seeing that in the 16 or 1700s, okay? So do both. Do your research. Vody Bauckham is a, a guy I do occasionally listen to. I had a couple of his books. I really enjoy him. He's kind of funny. He's kind of mean in person. I've met him in person. He's just very, um, he's very bombastic. He comes off as humorous in the pulpit, but when you talk to him face to face, he really doesn't have time for dummies. And I fall into the dummy category. And so even while I was talking about him, talking to him, he's like looking at his watch, rolling his eyes, you know. And so, um, but as, as a teacher, he's an excellent teacher and, uh, and very brilliant, very studied. He runs a seminary now in Zambia, and which is kind of interesting, in Lusaka, which is where Pastor Chibui lives. So and the next time I go down there, I'm going to go visit him and slap him around. The point is, is that he was at a conference, and a guy, you know, he's going to ask him the deep question about Revelation. He says, Vodi, are you watching the stuff that's going on in the Middle East today? How's that going to affect the second coming of Christ and so on? And Vodi had a really good answer. He said, um, it will affect the second coming of Christ, since for the last 2,000 years or so, we've been in the last days and will continue to be in those days until Christ returns. Amen? That's what he said. That was his answer. Because we don't know. There's things coming that we think we know, and we don't know. And when it comes, we're going to be in the middle of it, and we're going to go, man, this looks an awful lot like Ezekiel. This sure looks an awful lot like Daniel. This sure looks an awful lot like Revelation. But until it happens, we don't really know. And so we can, we can assume, we can guess, we can think about it, we can look at Thessalonians, we can look at Matthew chapter 24, 25, and when Jesus talks about the last days. But what we need to do is be at peace today in our relationship with Christ, and we need to be prepared for these things that are to come. That's the very best way. It'll give you a lot of peace, it'll give you a lot of rest. So scriptures can cause a person to, to worry or to become apathetic. A lot of people read Revelation, they're like, well, it's too much, I can't understand it, and I'm just not going to worry about it. I'm just going to live my life. The problem with doing that as a believer is that in general, when I say I'm just going to live my life, I'm not going to worry about it, what that means is I'm going to live my life my way, regardless of what God's will is for me to do in my life. A lot of people live that way. Many Christians live that way. Um, not you guys, of course, but all the other ones are very sinful and they live that way. They, they put the things of God's word aside and say, it's too big for me to know. It's too hard for me to understand. I'll put it over there. And if God wants me to really know, he'll reveal it to me somehow. And then they spend little time in the word and little time in prayer, study and application of the word. And so um, they're, they're basically as weak as an unbeliever. And it's those, it's those of the elect, I believe, that are the ones that are going to fall away in those last days. I'm going to take this thing off. I'm waving my hands around. I'm going to end up strangling myself with this. Strong said if they tied my hands together, I couldn't talk, so. <laughs> okay, so of the two pieces that we have, we have man-made or we have Christ-given, and there's only one where the believer must dwell, and that's in the peace that passes all understanding. And it's important to be able to recognize the false peace of men because many times we attach ourselves to the false peace of men thinking that it comes from God. In a pleasant time, in a pleasant day, it must be a God-given peace. And it's an individual relational peace between God and the individual believer 
that we're looking to achieve here and not just this world peace thing. It's not, it's not, the world peace thing is not going to happen. And it's important to be able to recognize the false peace of men so that you can be on guard of, for the evil one and the things that he says when he speaks through men. So any elected official and everyone that's ever come on board, pretty much, there's been a few. I would say Reagan was one. Actually, Donald Trump was one. Was one that was like about um, uh, national sovereignty. But most, and I'm just using the ones that we would know in our country. Other countries have had these guys. Actually, Putin is one. But this national sovereignty thing, an elected official that comes out and openly says that he wants to connect your country to another country in order to uh, better the peace or the economic situation in your country, you need to run from that guy. That guy is not speaking the word of God. He's not oriented to the word of God. He's not being led by the Holy Spirit. And I will tell you that from the beginning, God had his, every country, he designed it this way, to be separate nationalist sovereign countries. You can have business with the neighbor country, but we don't adjoin to another. We're a country, they're a country. You say, well, that's, that's very harsh. I don't see why we can't. We can't. Because men are so corrupt, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Your heart, President Biden's heart, President Putin's heart, President of Chile's heart, President of Ukraine's heart, Every man's heart is evil and desperately wicked. He thinks about himself all the time. It's good to be a country that is a protected sovereign country with borders, with security, with its own military and all these things. That's a good thing. It's actually very biblical. The Lord provided a wall of fire around Jerusalem until the point that they decided they wanted their own king. And then they built a wall around Jerusalem. Consider that. If you're not going to have God as the wall of fire around your country, you better have a wall around your country. The reason the Lord divided the nations at Babel was because he says when men combine like this, there is nothing that they won't be able to accomplish. What would they accomplish? What will men accomplish in a day where there's nothing they can't accomplish? Well, today they're um, making babies without a woman's womb bringing them all the way to, they can't make them come alive, but they're producing these babies. One of the places I saw was in Japan, one's in China, one's in Korea. I'm sure it's in other places. And we have our fingers on that. People from the United States are invested in this. And they want these so that they can do research on, they, they, it's a good reason, right? We always got to come up with a justifiable reason to do these things. But they want this so that they can do research on these babies so that they can give us longer lives. But I'm telling you, I hope you can see that you're touching something that is not yours to touch. To do that is to tamper with the things of God. You're asking for it. Um, tragically, I, I saw a little um, video this morning from Andy Stanley. Andy Stanley's Charles Stanley's son. He, he reaches probably 20,000 people every service. He does, he's a great speaker, very capable speaker. Great businessman, that's what he wants to be known for, I heard him say one time. Um, this morning, I heard this thing, and I can send it to you, or, or if you want, Dave Pritchard will send it to you. But he, he's in the pulpit at his church, and he takes the Bible, and he says, we need to have a reset of understanding of what it means uh, to walk the Christian life, blah, blah, blah. And, man, I'm, it's like the, 
the, the devil's tongue is coming out of his mouth and he says, you cannot trust this book. There's errors in this book. History, if you read this book, history is different from this book. There's science that contradicts this book and there's not a single man in that room that stood up and called him an apostate or a heretic or walked out or shouted him down, not a single one. Those people sat there and they listened and they heard it and they didn't respond to it. And that's where we're at. And you need to know that. You need to know that in Maine, a lady's, she found out that a lady's daughter who was 12 or 13 years old had gone to a teacher and the teacher told her, that he'd cover for her and call her by her whatever name and, and they were going to do this chest binder thing and, and convert her from a boy to a girl without her parents' knowledge and so on. And when it went before the school board, they shot the lady down. And when it went before the state, they said, well, we're trying to change these rules in the state where we can protect the students' rights over the parents' rights. That's where we're headed. And you need to know these things. It's a scary time. The Lord designed nations to be autonomous and not one-worldly. One of George Sr.'s big deals was he was in for the, he, he wanted the one big world. He wanted a one world government. This um, Schmidt, uh, Klaus Schwab, right? That's, that's his thing. He wants a one world government, a one world currency. We don't have to fear these things, but I'm telling you, you cannot, uh, oh, uh, guy from France, Mar, what's his name? Marconi, Marchand? I can't remember his name. Anyway, he's a Frenchie. What are you going to say? But anyway, he gets up there and he says, I could see that there could be a, it would only take a single good world leader and then we could pull it all together. And he recommended that. Marshawn, something like that. I can't remember his last name. It's forgettable if he's going to say those things. From the day of Adam, God told men to be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth. Take dominion over the earth. But with men trying to take sovereign countries and bring them all underneath one leader, you're not filling the earth. You might be filling the cities, but you're not filling the earth. And, and that's, we're going to see that. That's the whole work of the Antichrist. That is not of God. Look what the Antichrist does. Look what he does. He tries to accumulate all men to himself and in him be the leader of a one world government. It's okay to be nationalistic people. There's coming a day when men will so desire human peace that he'll follow this white horseman of Revelation 6. Let's look at it, verse 2 right there. And I looked, and behold, a white horse, he who sat on it had a bow and a crown was given to him, and he went out conquering and to conquer. This scripture, in, in, okay, you can read, Ten different commentaries, you'll get different views on this. I'm going to give you both views, and I'm going to tell you just where I lean only because of what's going on. A lot of people will say, a percentage of people will say <laughs> that this is Christ because it says he comes on a white horse and so on later on. But there's two reasons why I would say it's not Christ. It's some precursor to him, some antichrist of sorts, some tempter to lead men astray for two reasons. One is his bow and two is his crown. The crown that's mentioned here is a crown of uh, a laurel wreath like they used to win in the Olympics. Um, it's a temporary crown. The laurel wreath would wilt. The crown, it actually says crowns in Revelation 20, 19, 19 or 20 right in there. 
uh, where it talks about Jesus and him coming on the white horse. Not, it doesn't say crown, it says crowns, and the word is diadem, which is like the fancy crown with the jewels and, and all. This is a wreath, a laurel wreath is what he's wearing. So it's a temporary crown. And number two, the bow. In general, in the Bible, when you see the bow, it will, call the, it will talk about the bow and the arrows. So if he's any kind of dominating figure, he would come with a bow and arrows. But there's a little trick to the word bow. In the same word, similar to us, similar to today, is the word bow can be a bow, like a bow and arrow bow, or it can be a rainbow. And so in looking at this, I could see this false Messiah coming here looking to conquer the world by use of a bow and this scary potential of that bow and that double meaning of it, that rainbow. If we look at the rainbow today and how it was once this symbol of peace between God and men, and now it's become a weapon of the left and the, and the homosexual agenda, this bow, um, it's an aggressive demand of leftists and, and politicians and, and just people that are trapped in sin to make us um, take something that was once of God and twist it and make it something else. Um, just, just hear me on this. I'm not, I'm not being hating uh, on homosexual people. That's not the point. They're just trapped. Uh, and this is just a picture of a judgment on mankind. These people are trapped in a sin of this generality of homosexuality or this transgender thing or whatever. They're trapped in this sin. You're trapped in your own sin. But whenever I take my sin and I make you bow down to it, we got a problem. And that's what's going on. Um, the crown, like I said, it's, he doesn't have the crown of authority like Christ has. He has a temporary crown given to him. And this is, a, like I said, this laurel crown. And so this rider is elected by men, it seems, elected by men. He'll be brought in and he'll be elevated and he'll parade the bow, potentially, around. And he'll say, follow me as I follow the bow. I mean, if you really love people, you'd, you'd understand that they're different and this is how they are and you should love them anyway. And we can unite under this, this rainbow. We can, we can unite under this thing. And as long as you accept this rider's terms, then you'll be allowed to live. You'll be allowed to exchange money. You'll be allowed to buy groceries. You'll be allowed to go where you want to go and do what you want to do. But if you say or do something against that, you'll be persecuted and maybe persecuted unto death. I saw in New York, this, this just happened as the first of the year, was they, um, they passed a no bond status for people that are caught in a hate crime. And you say, well, if they're doing something hateful, well, it's not what you think. Anything can be considered a hate crime. You could say something that was, you believe that homosexuality is a sin, and I'll pray for you. That's considered a hate crime. You hurt my feelings, and I'm calling the law. You are held in jail without bond until your court case comes up, and you can be tried as a crime. Well, this is, not un this is completely unconstitutional. That's irrelevant. You could say or do something against a Jewish person or a, or a black person or, like I said, a homosexual person and be held without bond. There's a rider who comes with a bow in his hand, and you'll do what he says, or you'll go to jail. I saw a sign. <laughs> it, was, it blows my mind because I don't see Christians doing this, but a guy had a sign. They're having a, some kind of something or another. 
some kind of rally, and this homosexual guy's holding up a sign, and it says, we're not going away, you will accept me, and it's got will underlined. We're not going away, you will accept me. Well, what if I went to the same person and said, I'm not going away, you will accept Christ. Well, that's a hate crime. <laughs> I'm going to arrest you, and you will go to jail. It's a, this is where we're going and like I said, if you want to go back and research that on Revelation 6 and, and those horsemen, uh, either way, many thousands of people, millions of people will follow this horseman to their death. If it's the Antichrist or if it's Christ, I believe it's an, an Antichrist, maybe not the Antichrist, but either way, trying to find the peace of the world by making peace with sinful men will lead to death. And that's all there is. And I'm just giving you that example so that you can keep your eyes peeled as this rider approaches. As you see it become more and more um, obvious that you are, you're going to bow the knee to the wickedness of men or you're not going to live at peace with men. I don't know if you've seen, I, you'll have to take a look and you can take my word for it or look it up, but the transgender flag, everybody's got to have a flag, right? And so you got the gay flag, the, the rainbow thing, and then on the inside on the transgender flag, they got this arrow and it's like black and purple. It's really, it's just a really ugly flag. I mean, you'd think they're kind of known for their design skills, right? And they did a bad job on that one. It's confusion. Look at the flag. Just the flag itself shows you it's confusion. The lines are, are intersecting each other. It's ugly. These people are confused and they're lost. And like I said, uh, this is about a judgment against mankind using the weakness of mankind to exploit them. That's all it is. This horseman is just taking people that are already weakened in their sin and saying, follow me. And he just takes them like the lemmings to the cliff and they all just plunge off to their death. And I'm telling you this, and I've told you before, the devil doesn't care how men are destroyed. He hates men. He doesn't care if you're a Christian man or an unchristian man. He hates mankind. And if a Christian is to follow the flag and leap off the cliff with the unsaved, so be it. It's just one more. I saw where, you know, Amy Grant is, is a, a, a big proponent of the the gay marriage thing now. It's, it's tragic. These are Christian people. She just got a big award for, for this. And I'm thinking, honey, you know better. You know better. Andy Stanley, you know better. Look at your father. 60, 70 years in the pulpit preaching the good word. You know better. Francis Chan. I used to love Francis Chan. He's lost like they say, worse than a baseball in outer space. He's way off track now. He's going to try to accumulate. I just saw a, minute, a message that he gave. He's trying to accumulate all religious faiths into one religion. It's called ecumenicalism. We're going to have the Catholics, and we're going to have the Jews. We're going to have the Muslims. We're going to have the Christians. We're going to have the Pentecostals and the Baptists. We're all going to be here. And this is what the church is supposed to look like. There's a way that seems right unto the man, but the end thereof is death. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. The only way is through Christ. It's not through Allah. It's not through whoever. It's through Christ. So you better get on the right bus. 
The path is narrow. The gate is narrow. The path is narrow. It's a difficult path. You better get on it. Don't be confused. Christians get confused when they partake of worldly things. They ingest them, and they say, I'm going to be okay. And it breaks down their, their strength of character, and then they fall into wickedness, and they don't know how they got there. Tragic. And I'm just giving you this example so that, like I said, you'll keep your eyes open as the, as the writer approaches. In general, we're led astray by things that are really small in coming. And we can't see the, I mean, if we could, if they could show us the end result of what it's all going to be, if they could have showed me, you, 30 years ago, what the internet would become, we'd have burned it down years ago. I mean, we think, oh man, we can just research anything. Yeah, yeah, you can research all the porn you want. You can research all the TikTok information gathering stuff you want. You can research, you're right, you can. But is the good things of it better than the things that it's taken from us in our lives, the time that it's stolen from our minds and our eyes, the eyesight of young people. They're saying so many young people are having to get glasses because they never look further than this 15 inches or whatever it is that they, they have neck problems because they're staring at the thing all the time. We would have never, if we could have seen that, we'd, we'd have put some locks and bars on that. We'd have never let our kids touch those things. We'd have never touched it ourselves. Surely we'd have had the wisdom to see the end result, but we don't. We just get a little glimpse at a time, and we, and we just go to the next time, and then, and then it's got us, you know? And it's terribly painful to watch. We would never fall for many of the ruses of the world if we could see the consequences up front, the law of unintended consequences. You do this, and this happens over here, and you never saw it coming. In Ezekiel and Zechariah, where you see these horses again, actually, if you want to look those up, and in Zechariah in particular, it says, they went to and fro about the earth, and the earth was at rest. The Lord questions them, what have you been doing? Well, we've been going to and fro about the earth, and the earth is at rest. That's Zechariah 1.11. It's, it wasn't time for them to go and to do what it was that they were called to do. You need to know, um, and these horsemen, even these horsemen should give you pause and give you peace because they don't move unless God tells them to move. That white horseman of the apocalypse, he could have moved in Zechariah's day, but he didn't. He was at rest. The world was at rest. He was waiting at the command of God to send him to go and do whatever it is he was supposed to do. Whatever their purposes are, whatever their timing is, whatever the control, whatever the things they were supposed to do, it's all oriented in God's timing, God's control, his sending out or his taking in, his gathering in. He's the one behind the scenes doing the work. And so we don't need to fear men or fear supernatural things, knowing that God is in control of these things. As I told you, all these terrible things that are going on in the world, those and a million more, you know, evil never sleeps. It's just, it's like the termite. It never quits chewing. You go to bed at night, he's just eating away at your walls. That's what they do. The wicked never sleep. But the believer can be at peace and at rest, knowing that God is in control of both the wicked and the, the just. He's not unaware of the things that they're doing. And I want you to go to Luke. Here's where we're going to finish up is in Luke chapter 12. Matthew, Mark, Luke. We'll read it in two pieces. We'll start at verse 22. Luke 12, start at 22. And we'll read to 32. Then he said to his disciples, Therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life, 
what you'll eat, what you'll, or nor about your body, what you'll put on. Life is more than food, and the body is more than clothing. Consider the ravens, for they neither sow nor reap, which have neither storehouses nor barn, and God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? And which of you, by worrying, can add one cubit to his stature? If you then are not able to do the least, why are you anxious for the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow, they neither toil nor spin. And yet I say to you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. If then God so clothes the grass, which today is in the field and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? And do not seek what you should eat or what you should drink, nor have an anxious mind. For all these things the nations of the world seek after, and your Father knows that you need these things, but seek the kingdom of God, and all these things shall be added to you. Do not fear, little flock, for it's your God's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Should a person, in reading this, should a person be aware of the negative things of the time? I believe so. Should a person speak with authority and to authority against the negative things of this time? Yes. Um, should a person lose sleep over the things of this time? No. Should a person prepare for future times of negative things? Probably. <laughs> Definitely. As best you can. He says, should a person vote, pray, speak? Yes. As best you can in the part of life that you have control over, in the limited part that you play in this world, in this culture, do. But in what you can't control, be at peace. Even in the things that you can control, don't sweat it. Um, I have been besmirched in the past for my lack of planning or organizational skills. I'm sorry I'm not more organized. If you wanted more organized, I don't know where you could go. I was trying to, if I come up with a good pastor that's super organized, I'll, I'll send you over. But I do. I wish we had a, uh, I wish I was just this excellent administrator and had it planned out deep, 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 deep. But the people that I know that are that way, those people are never at rest. They got to keep the next thing on the schedule and they got to keep the next thing on the schedule and they're just, they suffer for it. And one thing, and it may not have been a positive thing, I think it is, that I learned in South America is we call it South American time is the person that you're standing there talking to is more important than any other thing you're going to do that day. So if I'm talking to Mark and I got an appointment with you at one o'clock, too bad for you. Because if Mark is needing whatever he's needing and I talk to him until that's concluded and we're both at peace with one another and we go to the next one. And it's probably not completely correct. It really is offensive to our American minds where we go by the clock and the minute and the hour and so on. But, I, but the person that's there and their spirit is very important. So when I'm talking to that person, and I'm like, oh, time's up, got to go. And you just drop them and you go to the next one to be on time there. You've injured that person. There's something to it, um, I believe. But the things that we, the things that we put so much pride in ourselves for being, man, I'm a completer. I'm an administrator. I got it all. Those are good people. We need those people. They're what makes the bus run on time and they make a lot of things happen, right? But we also need people that can slow down and speak to the, to the pain that's in a person in that moment. But it says, do not fear, little flock. This, this scripture right here really kind of caught my attention. Do not fear, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. 
The number of God's faithful and understanding people, truly understanding and faithful, have always been few. However, they've always been extremely influential. Um, Noah, one of eight. Elijah, one of 7,000. I mean, there's millions of people in Israel. One of 7,000 that haven't bowed the knee, and a bunch of them are hiding in caves waiting for somebody else to bring them food. So one active believer in Elijah has an influence on an entire nation. He wipes out the Baal worshipers and the Baal prophets. He, he turns the tide of government by his speech. He turns the heart of the people. Choose today whom you will serve. If Baal, Baal, if God, then choose, choose the one and then serve him. And they won't make a decision. He's like, well, let me take care of this for you. And he kills all the, the prophets of Baal, right? He's like, now choose. It's easier to choose now because there's one God that can destroy and can build. You need to choose that God. But it only takes one person. All throughout time, it's been that way. Jeremiah, Daniel, even in captivity, the influence he had on kings, one guy. And he's, he's in the top rung of government in a foreign nation that has nothing good for the Jews except for their brilliance. They have no part of them. They made him a eunuch so he couldn't reproduce. And that, but they're hanging on his every word and his every prophecy. Joseph, the same. Of course, the apostles. Of course, the Messiah. And then as time goes on, Augustine and Polycarp, and eventually we get to, you know, Isaac, what's his name? I can't think of his last name. Isaac Watts. And then you get to Martin Luther and Jonathan Edwards, and then you get to Spurgeon, and then you get to today, and whoever we have today, that's that, that person. It only takes one to influence people to be godly and to turn the tide. And pretty much all those people got brutalized in their life because of their ministry, because of their testimony. But their testimony outlived them, all of them. I mean, Polycarp, he died 2,000 years ago. And he's still known in Christian circles as a great martyr and a great pastor and a great leader of the faithful. And we can be that person. But the greatest person, personality, God in the flesh, of course, is the Messiah. Before there was influencers and Facebook and Instagram and all these things that we just foolishly squander our time on. One man speaking to the nations individually, here, there, and everywhere, in that one little circle around Israel right there. From there, the Romans get saved, the Hebrews of the world, the, the Turkish people as he gets over there, the Italians, and then it spreads from there and goes all the way across to the United States of America where you received it. Anybody receive the gospel anywhere except in the States? No? Well, they get it everywhere else too. Jesus Christ changed, absolutely changed the course of history. We, we monitor time, we regulate time today because of his day on the cross. I mean, that's something, right? I read a thing about the why do we have a seven-day work week? I mean, it's a really good evangelism tool. Why do we have a seven-day work week? Anybody know? Why, I mean, why don't we have a 10-day? 10 10-day 10 would be more reasonable. I mean, we have uh, uh, 
I mean, everything else does good in tens, right? It's easier to tell time and so on if it's in tens. We have 365 days in a year and a quarter or whatever, and that fluctuates. And if you divide it by seven, it doesn't come out right. Why is that? Because God made a seven-day work, work week, and on the seventh day, he rested. And every country, every nation, every people group around the world has a seven-day work week. And they judge time and measure time by the seven-day work week. And God put it into place. And it's a small thing that a believer could mention to another and say, I wonder why we have a seven-day work week. I wonder who made that tree out there. Do not fear, little flock. Do your part. You don't have to worry about making it safely back to port if Jesus is the pilot of the ship. He'll get you there. And if you die, even better. We don't have to fear the words of men and the terrible chance of, of going to jail. If you go to jail, be a witness there. Luckily, we don't behead people in the States yet for being Christians, but it could possibly come. Look at Luke 12, start at verse 35. Let your heart, oh, I'm sorry, <clears throat> excuse me. Let your waist be girded and your arms, I'm, man, let me get my glasses on here. Let your waist be girded and your lamps burning, and you yourselves be like men who wait for their master when he will return from the wedding, and when he comes and knocks, that they may be open to him immediately. Blessed are those servants whom the master, when he comes, will find watching. Assuredly, I say to you that he will gird himself and have them sit down to eat and will come and serve them. If he should come in the second watch or come in the third watch and find them so, blessed are those servants. But know this that if the master of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and not allowed his house to be broken into. Therefore, you also be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Let your waist be girded and your lamps burning. The man who fears the least is the one who prepares the most. They prepare you before you go to combat. You go to boot camp, you go to infantry school, then, you go to, then you're with your unit for a time generally, and then you, you practice a whole bunch of time. By the time you go to combat, the things that you do are so naturally occurring, you don't even think about them, you don't even think about what you're doing. You just do it. It's programmed in. The believer should be that way. In times of peacefulness or in times of war on the horizon, the believer should be in the Word every day, studying to show himself approved unto God. Working hard in the scriptures, developing it in himself so that he has a word to give, like it says in Second Peter, to anyone who asks. Ready to speak it at a moment's notice. Brother Yun is one of my favorite missionaries. I was telling Mark about him the other day. He went to a missionary. He was born in China and just absolutely brutalized. Uh, he was kind of the founder of the house church in China and he had a seminary and a missionary training school. And in that, he would train people how to get out of handcuffs, how to escape guards. Um, uh, let's see. Yeah, how to, how to get out of jails, how to jump out of two and three story windows to escape. I mean, he taught them the gospel. He taught them how to present the gospel. And then he taught them how to do hand to hand combat as well. Because if you're locked up in jail, your ministry shrinks. It's better to be on the street unless God wants you in jail, and then that's where your ministry is. Um, a guy like that uh, is preparing others to go do the work of the ministry. The people, this is what's crazy, is people wanted to come to his missionary school in China, where if they catch you, in fact, the last time they caught him, they tried to break his legs again in the airport while he was going. He had a visa to come to the United States. 
and they captured him again in the airport while he's trying to go and beat him on the bottoms of his feet and tried to break his legs again. They broke his legs in prison because he was so good at escaping. And he walked out of the prison on broken legs. He said he was in his cell and the Lord told him, get up. And the cell door was open and he walked out and he walked in the hallway. He walked past guards with their eyes open, walked through the main courtyard, walked out the main gate, which happened to be open, and a taxi pulled up and he got in the taxi and drove away on broken legs. I mean, the guards were like, how? <laughs> how is that possible, you know? And that guy's like, I need, to, I need to start a school to teach people how to escape prison so that they can be better believers, so they can be better soldiers for the cross and be more confident in spreading the gospel, knowing um, the answers for those that ask the questions and even having an answer for the guards. Finally, this is 2 Peter 3.17. I don't know if we have it as a slide, but it says, Finally, therefore, beloved, since you know this beforehand, beware, lest you fall from your own steadfastness, being led away with the error of the wicked. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be the glory, both now and forever. Amen. Is that up there? Yeah. Since you know this before, I'm telling you now, you've been warned ahead. You that are my age and older... You have seen it coming. And I don't know if we're like King Hezekiah and we're like, yeah, it's coming. I hope I croak before it really gets here. You know? I mean, that's what he asked. The, the prophet came to him and he goes, man, this is coming. He's like, well, am I going to die first? Yeah, you're going to die first. Okay, well, it's okay. But we should be ministers of the gospel. Knowing that it's coming, we should be more diligent to study, more diligent to encourage others, more diligent to visit people, invite them, uh, to hear the gospel. If you can't give them the gospel, do the best you can and then bring them to somebody that can. Charlie Alva's a good minister. Mark over here is a good minister. Take him to Brother Mark. Take him to me. Jimmy Baldwin is a witnessing machine. Take him to Jimmy. We got people that can tell them the gospel. You should be that way too. We got people that can tell them the gospel. Do the best you can and bring them. And we'll tell them before it's too late. And we can train them. Mark, Mark asked me, he said, do we need to be learning how to get out of plastic handcuffs? Maybe. Maybe we do. Maybe that's what we got to do is have a seminary where we're teaching each other how to escape the guards and jump out of the jail windows. There's going to be news reports and persecutions, and there's going to be failings of godly men. And this is what I don't want you to be tormented by. When you see Andy Stanley fall away, when you see Francis Chan fall away, when you see old radical guy start to stumble. Don't panic. Study to show thyself approved unto God. A workman that needs not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Study yourself and make sure you have the relationship that David had with the Father. Where he's writing love stories to him and, 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 and love sonnets to him and songs and hymns and spiritual songs. You work on that with your relationship and I'm telling you, that as you're filled with the Spirit and you're filled with the Word of God, it will start to flow out of you and you will start to have an effect on other people as you speak the Word to them. And they'll grab onto it and they'll say, man, this guy has the very words of life. Who do you say that I am? I mean, where else can I go? What does he ask Peter? Where can I go? You have the very words of life. I mean, if you got the words of life, people listen to you. We're in a strong, we're in a bad day. Um, we're in a bad day. I just heard about a parent, and, and we were talking to his kid, and, and they were like, well, we don't want him to be baptized. What? 
You don't want your kid to be, but you don't want your kid to be saved. You don't want your kid to be, to hear the word. You don't want your kid to just be moral. You want him to be a road runner. You want him to live on the streets like a vagrant and a vagabond. Is that what you want? Or do you want him to grow in spirit and in truth, grow in grace, grow in faithfulness? Would you rather have a son that's the best guy in prison or the worst Christian on the street? I mean, what do you want from your kids? Our country is so corrupted. We're just like the days of Ezekiel. It says they made the children to pass through the flames and they sacrificed their children to the idols. We're willing to sacrifice our children for our own peace of mind and our own time to ourselves, our own time on the internet, and our own time on our TV shows, and our own time in our own books, and our own thing that we're doing. We're willing to sacrifice our children to Molech just like the Israelites are doing, Christians are. Because they don't see the danger ahead. But I'm telling you, the white horse is coming. Commit yourselves to the reading of the word of God and begin to desire his righteousness. And it says, all these things will be added unto you. It says, do not have an anxious mind. He'll break the fearfulness that's within you and he'll give you the peace that passes all understanding. Father, in the name of Jesus, we come to you this morning and we ask for your mercy on these that are here. We are grateful to, to hear your word, and I pray that the people that have heard the word this morning will receive the word, not from Dale, but from you. I pray that the word that was spoken was the word that you had for us today. I pray for these that are here, that they would receive the word and go away glad, but that they wouldn't just keep it to themselves, Lord, that they would study the word, that they would be Bereans and prove the word, that they would read it for themselves and see if it's the truth that they would cling to it as the truth, that they would desperately cling to you, Lord, and hold on to you, grab you by the ankle, and just hang on. Lord, I pray that our eyes are open to these, these horsemen that are coming. I pray that these lukewarm churches will be revived. I pray for these men that were once men of God. I remember Andy Stanley's books. I read them 25, 30 years ago, and they were excellent. And he had a knowledge of you, but somehow he's lost that knowledge. And just like you said, in the last days, apostate and heretics will rise up. And they are once strong men of God, now weak-willed um, women passed about by every wind of doctrine, Lord. Help us, Lord. Help our country. Have mercy on us. Redeem us, Lord. Save us. Keep us, Lord. Thank you for your goodness to us, Lord. Thank you for this place and these that have come. And uh, we thank you now for the food and the, the time to fellowship there together. May we talk about serious things, Lord. May we love one another, encourage one another, and come back again and, and seek your face with our whole hearts in Jesus' name.